fellow cinephiles, and welcome to another episode of One More Take, where we discuss all things movies over a nice glass of wine, a cocktail, beer, your choice. My name is Demi, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jasmine and Jordana. Hi, ladies. How's it going? Hi. <laughs> hey, how are you? Hey. Yeah, I'm, what are you guys drinking? I'm drinking rosé. I'm drinking um, a Negroni I made. With your three ingredients? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and with um with my the corgi gin. Oh, nice. Ooh, that I nice. Talk about last time. Yeah, shout out to Corgi and JC. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I have nothing exciting today. I'm having just seltzer water. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to refresh, recover, keep myself, you know, ready for the future. <laughs> Oh, okay. I feel like I feel like I have seltzer. I drink seltzer so much. I feel like I just am made of seltzer. It's running through my veins. I, I think Jasmine, you could have um, had a white claw, which is a refreshing seltzer. Yeah, or alcoholic. Or, have you guys had high wow. noon? No, those are good too. They're mm-hmm. much lower in alcohol, I believe. Oh okay. no, I haven't. So had it, it depends. Those are good. They're made with like real fruit juice and it's vodka. And, but it's sparkling. It's like the hard seltzer thing. I like those too. I love anything sparkling. Sparkling. <laughs> I usually don't, but I've kind of gotten into it just as a change from just, you know, flat water. So, yeah, they have flavors too. It's very exciting. <laughs> During this quarantine, it's just Ooh. little things. The little things. Am I right? Anyways, uh, mm-hmm. now turning to our segment, The Quick Take. This is what's happened in the movie world. Sort of the major headlines. Alright, so first up, Zendaya and John David Washington. They shot a, a whole film in secret with um, the Euphoria creator, Sam Levinson. And it's titled Malcolm and Marie. The film was shot during quarantine in late June to early July. So really short turnaround. Apparently, it's been in the... Or it's to be in the style of Netflix Marriage Story, which was released last year, starring Adam Driver and Scar jo, Scarlett Johansson. Um, they also took all the necessary safety precautions to film this during COVID, which is important to note and something all film productions will kind of have to do and think about going forward to ensure a safe filming environment. So what did you guys think when you heard this? Were you shocked? Sauced and excited. Yeah. I mean, just because these are two of like the hottest Hollywood stars right now. And whenever this movie comes out, I, yeah, sign me up. I'll go, I'll go see it. Yeah. No, me too. I mean, I won't go see it because I'm very paranoid right now. Oh, but you Um, know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. No, no, no. No, but like, no, I'm very excited. They're just two incredibly talented, like on the rise actors. Um, and I'm, I'm just curious to see how it will turn out and kind of hear about how the script was developed and all of this stuff. It's very interesting. Um, and hopefully we have some other creative projects come out of this time. Yeah. And I like that it's secretive. It's so secret. Like they filmed mm-hmm. a secret film <laughs> and everything is like under wraps. And They pulled a Beyonce. Yeah, they did. I mean, they, were, they didn't release it. But it's they were like, now, you know, yeah. That's well, true. Yeah. With everybody in quarantine. Mm-hmm. I know, I know. So exciting things to come, hopefully. Very exciting. Um, 
I guess another bit of news is that Jude Law is reported to be in talks with playing Captain Hook in the new live-action Peter Pan movie called Peter Pan and Wendy. So, what do you guys think about that casting call? <laughs> so, this is a, a, another live-action remake? Of- that is correct. A live-action <laughs> remake. Just what we Disney. needed. Um... I mean, I love Jude Law. I, I, I don't know. I feel like he's been on a roll lately. I love what he did with um, Fantastic Beasts. Oh. I loved him in Captain Marvel. Um, oh. So no, I, I mean, yeah, I'm excited to see how this pans out. <laughs> for me, this does nothing for me. I'm like the exact opposite. Like, wouldn't have been. Would I feel like we would have been way more excited if they were like Lin Manuel Miranda playing hook in a reboot i feel like that would have that's just i'm just thinking off the top of my head of like for me jula i'm like okay it might be good i mean with your example i would say i would be more excited if lynn was in charge of like directing Mm -hmm. peter pan (laughs) because of uh mary poppins are you saying that or mary poppins because of (laughs) hamilton and his creative mind but mm-hmm. I'm I'm a little scarred, I guess, by Peter Pan because I recently saw uh, Peter Pan Live, which was Ooh. an NBC oh no uh, live thing that they did I think like four years ago, and oh, God. it was it was <laughs> it was interesting. <laughs> like I I just didn't connect to the story. I mean, Peter Pan is not my favorite. So it's not one of the ones I rewatched all the time, but right. I don't know yeah. that that show didn't do anything for me. And then the casting choice for Captain Hook was just off as well. So yeah. when I oh. saw this news, I was a little. Or what if? Oh, sorry. No. Yeah. Go ahead. No. Or what if it was like Margot Robbie? You know, like we talked about how they cast her. She's doing a Pirates reboot, yeah. like. I don't know. I feel like if they made her hook and had to really like retool it, maybe that would be more interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's just not particularly like, oh, I gotta see that. But you know, who knows? They could totally reinvent it. But you know, we already had hook with yeah with the hook, Hugh Jackman, so which focuses more on the hook side. And then I feel like all those NBC. Fox remakes are not great and I watch them to mock them. No, um, no, the other live ones are good. The Little Mermaid, no. The Flounder. No, that, was, that, that Flounder was, was an abomination. That was ABC. They didn't know what they were doing. Know. Fox knows what they were doing. <laughs> I didn't like I remember I didn't like the sound of music. But that's one of my favorite musicals. So it's hard. I'll save my hot takes about the sound of music for another episode. How dare you? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Anyways. How dare you? The last big piece of news that came out of, I guess, this week is that Tom Cruise was given the green light to resume filming on Mission Impossible. In the UK, it seems like the government has given um, some of the movie productions uh, the go-ahead to just continue filming. I think for me, the part that's like troubling is I actually don't know where he he is at this point, like if he's in the US, but the fact that he would be given like a special exemption potentially to enter 
the UK to film this movie is just ridiculous to me. Um, so yeah, and I obviously like fil- opening or filming in the UK. That's very different than Hollywood because they have it much more under control than we do in America. Um, so it's not even that like I necessarily have an issue with though. I think there's now like a huge learning curve with all like all of these new you know safeguards and how are we going to be compliant with that so i don't know it's just i mean i'm glad i guess i'm glad like jobs are starting but like yeah i mean it's a way to restart the economy what if if someone in his team because i'm sure it's not just him coming right it's like a whole team it's probably a whole team so i mean what if someone I mean, we you can know, only I we guess. can only hope that they like. I mean, I they feel like quarantine and test. Obviously, they're gonna do that. But you understand what I'm saying too, like the potential. And this is for money. For this is for monetary purposes and entertainment. I mean, what else are we doing right now? I mean, Netflix. You can you can watch Netflix. We'll be but okay. Netflix this still, isn't unnecessary. This Netflix isn't Netflix is gonna run out of things eventually. I mean, I know they have everything lined up for 2020, but eventually we are gonna <laughs> run out <laughs> of things. Eventually we will. <laughs> it's in, right. Well, I mean, all I'm gonna say on this is like, I I hope that they're taking all the necessary precautions for this to be done safely. Um, I mean, yes, it's problematic that we're given you know the green light for famous people to go and do this, but at the same time like jasmine says we do need entertainment we do need to kind of like give the economy a boost it's just as long as it's done safely which i assume they would do i mean they're not gonna endanger well let's switch over to our main discussion in the long take we're joined again in this episode by our friends jay and sean hi guys how are you Hello. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey, what are we drinking? Sean, you want to kick Jay, us off here? Jay, you'll appreciate this. To, to celebrate having another opportunity to soil this podcast, I'm drinking an Oban 14-year. Ooh, that Fancy. is that is one of my favorites. Um, I, I'm not drinking anything as, as expensive, but... Um, I, uh, Philly has a, a distillery in Fishtown called New Liberty Distilling, and they make a four-year age rye called Kinsey, uh, which is delicious. And I mean, in exploring my city and alcohol in my city, I didn't know that apparently rye was introduced to the United States in Pennsylvania, even though it oh. has, you know, become more popularized in the South. But it's good. It's it's a it's only a four year age, so it's got a little bit of a spice spicy bite, but uh, it's good. Introducing me to rye uh, almost makes me forgive Pennsylvania for other recent sins, but <laughs> almost, <laughs> almost, almost. Anyways, <laughs> and on that note, let's talk about the Academy's recent sins. <laughs> so, in this episode, we're just going to talk about like what is it going to take for the Academy to recognize great popcorn flicks in the Best Picture category. You know, historically, these films are mostly recognized in the visual effects or sound categories. Like, the Academy just seems to have, like, strong biases against, like, comedies, action flicks, horror films, or, like, even superhero movies. Um, Most of the best picture contenders are usually, like, heavy dramas, historical biopics, musicals, or even movies with, like, a strong social commentary. 
I mean, sure, there have been exceptions over the years. Like, you know, we had the Joker, Black Panther, Get Out, Mad Max Fury Road, and The Martian. But before we delve into, like, our full discussion, Jay, why don't you walk us through, you know, what is the definition of a typical popcorn flick? And then what makes a great popcorn flick? Uh, I think when we think about popcorn flicks, we are at least thought, you know, we're taught to think about a movie that's perceived as entertaining, but maybe it lacks depth uh, or, you know, quote unquote, artistic merit, which supposedly the Academy determines uh, a movie that, you know, maybe doesn't have serious dramatic content. Uh, maybe the message isn't super weighty. Maybe it lacks intellectual depth. If, if you notice, the things I'm saying are negative because I think a lot of, uh, well, okay, let me add one positive thing. When people say, say popcorn flick, I think they mostly think of like a movie that's enjoyable but maybe it lacks some of those things. I don't, I don't know that that's actually true. I think you have you know, movies that can be considered popcorn movies uh, that have, have those things, that have some drama, a message, or depth. Um, and you know, who's to say those are the things that, that movies are for, right? Like if I'm going to a movie and I would just wanna feel something, that doesn't mean it has to come from you know, Daniel Day-Lewis's amazing acting. It can come from me feeling immersed in the world or it can come from you know me feeling happy about uh you know how the movie makes me feel that sort of thing so i i think as i mentioned earlier that there might be a little bit you know you can have a popcorn movie that's a blockbuster right i think people would say a blockbuster is a movie that's massively commercially successful you can also have popcorn movies that are not blockbusters i think typically there's some overlap in that definition uh you know, many popcorn flicks or blockbusters and vice versa. Uh, but I think that some of the movies that we are going to talk about today, you know, might be both, uh, but also should be considered more. You know, if it, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, mass consumption. And, and, and if that's what big movies are for or just movies are for generally, then, you know, I think you can look past, uh, what people view as negatives of popcorn flicks or popcorn movies and see that, you know, there's more to them. I think that what makes a good popcorn movie, well, actually, before I jump forward, I mean, do do you guys have, you know, anything else that you think makes a popcorn flick? Hmm. I mean, actually, I, I feel like what makes a great popcorn flick is when it takes it to like the next level where it gives you just more than like, a film being made just to entertain or a yeah. film that just has like actual sequences. Like it, it, there's like, you know, there's like weight and like, I guess like meat to the film than just like it being like your typical like blockbuster film. Yeah. Uh, no, I, yeah, no, definitely. Or it's more right than just this linear surface of here's a bunch of action scenes and, or here's just a highly entertaining, like quote unquote lowbrow movie, but it actually, you know, you can connect on it on, I guess, a, more than just the pure entertainment value. Not that there's anything wrong with that either, but I see so what you're you, saying. So you guys view popcorn flicks a little differently than bo- blockbuster movies? Because mm. I kind of blend it. It blends for me. No, I th- it blends for me too. Yeah. yeah. See, I, I kind of think of a, a popcorn flick as, as kind of um, like a low bar. And by that, I mean, it's like a yeah. like a catch-all. 
So I remember uh, Jamie Foxx was coming off Ray, and he was on a uh, late night talk show talking about, uh, I want to say, stealth. And you knew it wasn't the same level of Ray. You knew it didn't demand the same kind of performance it did. So how he pitched it, and I, I'm pretty sure it was on David Letterman. He's like, <laughs> this is a movie you could watch with Pepsi and a popcorn. And that's kind of what I think of when I think of like the popcorn movies. If I, you know, we're in the middle of the summer. If I want to flip on my air conditioning, lower my shades, grab, I mean, I'm too old to be drinking Pepsi too often, but if, you know, <laughs> grab a cold drink and grab like a fistful of, you know, skinny pop, because again, too old to get the good stuff. Uh, that to me is a popcorn, <laughs> a movie that I could put on, know I'm going to be entertained. Um, you know, if you want to get deeper into the definition, I could maybe be on my phone maybe a little bit during it but fundamentally it's a movie that uh i want to watch in a kind of like a relaxed state as opposed to some of the movies we've talked about in previous episodes that uh demand and deserve you know full attention and evaluation uh mm-hmm. just for me the baseline is is this a movie that you know i want to watch where i'm just you know i could be kind of like in that you know quote-unquote egg mode um and uh you know some of the movies we're going to talk about today are, are, are just perfect examples of that mm-hmm Mm-hmm. what we're gonna discuss next is like some of like these like next level pop mm-hmm. flicks that like really stand out and i feel like we all believe should have probably well not all of us but we <laughs> each of us strongly believe should have probably been nominated for a best picture oscar um but they for, for, for some reason they were just excluded in that year so, so we're gonna start with Jordana. Okay, my pick is Toy Story, which um, was released in 1995. And I mean, I just, Toy Story also for me, so it was one of the top grossing films of the year. And it's an animated movie. So that's a huge reason why it was not nominated for Best Picture, which is also a whole other reason in itself but it just it's a movie adults and children can not only enjoy but really connect with because it it's you know a reimagining right of the buddy of the buddy film and it was unique inventive it's hilarious right like we still i feel like quote from it and even the other toys in the movie besides buzz and woody are so memorable and they only have pretty much a few lines each like t-rex and mr potato head and you know but they're incredibly memorable characters so i just think also the movie would not be as good without tom hanks especially both of tim allen and tom hanks together but tom hanks gives such a, honestly emotional depth to woody that i mean i think you could even argue he, he could have been nominated for best which has yet to happen um but i i think that's a huge reason why the movie works why adults connect with it but for me yeah it's a popcorn flick because on the outside it just looks like a kid movie right but it's a movie that really transcends age and that we're still children and adults are still enjoying over 20 years later okay so for your year Mm -hmm. like there are five nominees for best picture who are you kicking Um, out and replacing with so i would probably kick out babe even though i know it's beloved by many other people 
But I mean, so that year, I mean, honestly, I, I would also, the, the movie that won that year was Braveheart, which is just not my thing. So if we're talking about personal preference, I mean, I could do that too. Um, but, you know, it's more about objectively. I think objectively, like, Babe is a really good movie that people revisit, but it's not, it didn't kind of push the boundaries, I guess, visually the way, um, Toy Story did so for me I think that would edge it out a bit but yeah so I would pick but there's that year there was The Postman and it's Heather's Sense and Sensibility Apollo 13 which was interestingly enough another hugely grossing movie and Tom Hanks Hanks (laughs) Um, but that was also a blockbuster and that got nominated so I, I, I mean, I, I, I agree on Toy Story. I think Toy Story is amazing, uh, but I'm just jumping in here because I think Babe is phenomenal. And, <laughs> and you're, kicking out for my, the you're kicking out Babe, but, 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 but that's okay because, because I, I think they, they could both be in the category because yeah. let's be real. Braveheart has one good scene. Mel yeah. Gibson is mediocre. Could, so let's kick out Braveheart. Let's put Brave in Toy I mean, Story. I, I can't like Mel Gibson on on Jewish purposes. So, <laughs> Sean, Sean, what do you, what do you have to say about? I Braveheart? can't wait for I this. Really love this film. One good scene, Sean. One good scene. No, uh, that that's not true. Uh, <laughs> Braveheart Mel Gibson makes a lot of things difficult Um, being Jewish uh, living in California uh, he it's really unfortunate being Mel Gibson he he makes a lot of things unfortunate and and the sad part is he was in a lot of good movies in the 90s and and, uh, well late 80s to the early 2000s Um, Lethal Weapon the Lethal Weapon movies exactly uh so i love braveheart not because i'm scottish just because if you watch it as a movie it the the <laughs> for some crazy reason the love uh thread works and it works in the vibes of an action movie and the movie works um mel gibson makes things age bad it's kind of like the opposite of like an oak barrel um where <laughs> you know you, you put a movie in the vessel that is mel gibson and it comes out smelling like rotten eggs 20 years later so it's, it's really like, it's really hard to separate mm-hmm. the art from the artist when someone has done about eight yeah. things wrong um and all of them were within his control but as far as the the merits of braveheart uh the movie works it's it's i think amongst the many regrets that the academy has this wouldn't be one of them mm-hmm. nominating toy story should be a regret i'm completely on board with toy story i actually will join jay in defending babe it wasn't my job to cut um, I'll just say the Toy Story should have been nominated, and I'll defer to Jordana's judgment um, as far as which one. But they both have their merits. I, the thing I love about Toy Story is that you can watch it as a 32-year-old and still learn from it, as I did as a five-year-old. It's adult problems in a kid's movie. It transcends age. It should have been nominated. The Academy should do a better job of recognizing animated well, fare. Tune into a future episode on that one. So one other thing I also wanted to include about Toy Story was that year it was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Obviously, it didn't win. But the Academy also gave John Lasseter a special Oscar, kind of acknowledging the technology and the advancements that were made um, in doing this movie. So they essentially, they're saying, this is a good story, and we're truly just giving you an Oscar 
not in a category because this is such an like a technical achievement but we can't nominate you for best picture so because it's animated essentially and only one other movie prior had been nominated for best picture and there were only five nominees well, and, and that's how it should have stayed forever, but we'll digress. Um, but but, I, <laughs> but then Up wouldn't have gotten, like, then, do you think, I mean, this is a whole well, other. No, no, we're not going to go back. But I, yeah, I, don't I, forget I, Coco. I think it's, I, I think it's interesting and it mostly reflects kind of the zeitgeist and enduring maybe prejudice that seems mm-hmm. to be getting lessened. Um, and, and Toy Story is really... Yeah. You know, the, the second or third movie of its kind in, in the modern yes. era that really challenged. I know Beauty and the Beast had been nominated uh, a few years before. Yay. But, but yeah. Beauty and the Beast was also the old style Disney animation, uh, like the cartoon totally. images. Toy Story was computer. It was actually a little foreign. A lot of people didn't know how it would work. I mean, Disney and uh, Pixar didn't know how, uh, you know, audiences would um, respond to it. And obviously they did. So you know it's weird i I love toy story it's one of my favorite movies but i also kind of understand why it didn't get nominated just Mm -hmm. understanding the era that it came out in of course yeah i mean they don't have any forethought in that sense so yeah all right so that was toy story jasmine what's your pick uh so my pick is for the matrix which came out so another oldie came out in 1999 and it was kind of crazy watching it recently, thinking back to the year when we were thinking about Y2K and how crazy that was and all the fear that we had with like technology not working. And I can't imagine how that would be now with how reliant we are on technology. But yeah, as a side, that's a little side note, but the Matrix is probably... Is, not probably. It is one of the best action, I would say, hot take of all times. I don't know if that's a hot take. I feel like that's true. It's <laughs> <laughs> a hot take. It's just true. It's just, just saying true. the truth. <laughs> but the movie is visually stunning. I mean, it came out 20 years ago, and it still holds up today. Like, it kind of changed how action sequences were filmed on screens and what you can expect. I mean, they usually, in those days, they focus more on, like, card action sequences, but the way that uh, the action was kind of broken down and it, it was, it created this new, I, like, blanked out, (laughs) it created this new, Uh, way of movement um, which definitely influenced uh, pop culture I mean how many movies after this one came out did we have to witness people doing like this back bend in like slow motion (laughs) like everything was referencing this movie like clothes It, it was so new and fresh and it's that definitely it meets that popcorn criteria where it's just if you look at if you just want to say that it's basic entertainment which it was it was thrilling you have the visuals for days but it also forced you to think critically there are so many themes and symbols like more than i caught of course when i first saw it even like the second or third time 
Uh, there's so many things that they added and layered on top of layers of like themes. They deal with like fate, reality, like social economic movement, theology. Like you can apply all of those themes to today. We're still grappling with that. Like, especially in this current situation, we're kind of all questioning reality and is this real and everything kind of feel real a little bit. And we're kind of rethinking our truths. And this movie is definitely right on par with that. Even the socioeconomic thing, how in the movie, the big machines were feeding off of the energy of the humans. I mean, you can kind of just look at people working for nothing and keep going. And they're just expending this energy that's just going up to the higher ups with the hopes that they'll move up, but they won't because, but the higher ups will keep growing just like the machines. So, I mean, are we living in the matrix? It, it sounds like a crazy question, but are we? So I just want to say this movie has everything. What happened? The Academy, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I mean, you have actors okay. like you look look at young little Keanu, so cute. But that's besides the point. That's a side <laughs> point. <laughs> no, I mean, um, great point. I think we are right. So, if the way you're describing the Matrix, right? It sounds like, are we living in the Matrix? Is this real? The way you just describe it sounds like capitalism to me, and. So I think, like, in, in that sense, yes, we are. And that's part of the reason why I think people enjoy the movie, right? Because it makes you, it does make you think on a deeper level. It is way more than a sci-fi movie with amazing, you know, visual effects that we had never seen before, which was kind of why, you know, people went to the movie, right? Mm -hmm. But you, you are right. It's so much more than that because it makes you question, you know, what is, what, what is like, what my eyes are seeing, is that real? And it, it just makes you kind of think about your own life, your own experiences exactly. on a deeper level, which, you know, is it's incredibly thought provoking, which is kind of, yeah, why it should have been nominated. So I'm totally with you on that. It's funny how maybe besides the, incredible action sequences that maybe the maybe the legacy of the matrix is the mainstreaming of the simulation hypothesis are we all mm -hmm. are we all living in a yeah. video game and and mm -hmm. you you almost it's almost odd how you hear it not every day so to speak but you do hear you know people uh, as like an aside be like it's okay we're all living in a video game and that idea comes from the matrix that we're all kind of plugged in mm -hmm. um and and just kind of hamsters on the wheel so I, it's an incredible movie how many levels it works on and just as a straightforward popcorn movie the action sequences given 1999 were, were incredible given the budget were incredible um the wachowskis uh their vision uh at the time uh quite sublime yeah, yeah I, I was a little surprised because i was like oh you know how are the special oh. effects gonna look now yeah but how they're, up? yeah they're still really That's good the fight scene yeah Oh, like the the one with you know just Lawrence 
Fishburn and Keanu. Like, that's still incredible. Well, I'll, I'll say probably my, my favorite scene in the movie is probably one of the more simple ones, which is mm-hmm. him getting out of the office. Uh, and the, uh, you know, Morpheus directing him, him hiding behind, uh, you know, cubicles. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think it's just an incredibly well done scene. And it shows how good that script was in that you have these incredible action sequences with, you know, Keanu doing, uh, you know, flips and stuff and Carrie Ann Moss doing things that I didn't know a human body could do. Yep. <laughs> but you also just yeah. have a really simple three minute sequence where he gets onto a window ledge from a cubicle and it's just so incredibly done. You're on the edge of your seat the entire time. You're also wondering like, wow, cell phones were that big at the time. Oh. Um, My God. <laughs> and the computers too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh. yeah. <laughs> The late 90s were a trip. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I was going to say 1999 was such a great year in movies. Like, there's a a book just dedicated to, like, how many of the films that were released that year were amazing. So, Jasmine, I feel like this makes it hard for you. But what movie do you then kick out out of the 2000 Oscars to get The Matrix in? Now, have you guys seen the Cinder House Rules or the Green Mile? The Cider? Cider. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, you the see, Cinder I didn't see rules. that. So, I'll tell I you, it was her. awful. It was that's, awful. That's, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. That, you can that kick that one out. <laughs> because obviously, I didn't even get the name right. No offense. I'm sorry to anyone who liked that movie. But as an unknown, yeah. that one was going to get the kick. <laughs> that one was getting kicked out. Yeah. There's. Yeah, there's so many good movies that year that weren't nominated. Like, not necessarily that were popcorn flicks, but there's a lot of good movies that, you know, that like comedies like Office Space, Election, that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, that were nominated. Yeah. But anyway, sorry. No, you, want to, you, you want to talk about a movie lampooning capitalism? <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> Anyways, Jay, what's your uh, pick? So. My pick is from actually the year that I was born. <laughs> so it's older than everybody's. Uh, so it comes out in 1995. So uh, my pick is Back to the Future. Um, Back to the Future, I rewatched all three movies recently. Um, you know, I, I think they are best watched as, as a trio. I mean, it's funny, I, I didn't mean to, but I rewatched the Back to the Future series recently uh, backwards <laughs> like I, I didn't mean to you know? really? yeah I, like I've I've seen them I've seen them before obviously so uh you know watching three two and one gave me a little bit more of an appreciation for like how connected they are um and so when you get to one you realize what like Spielberg and Zemeckis and everybody are really doing uh and it, it just it makes it even more even more interesting and even more cool but I mean, I think Back to the Future uh, really just, I just lost the word. <laughs> I think Back to the Future really um, is just very emblematic of what a, of a popcorn movie should be. Um, it has a true movie star, right? So Michael J. Fox initially couldn't make that movie. So they have an entire, you can go on YouTube and you can look up Back to the Future Eric Stoltz. Right. They start shooting that movie with Eric Stoltz because um, they can't get Michael J. Fox off of his show. And even though he was their number one, uh, their number one star choice. And just just go watch those YouTube clips like it is not it's not the same. It's not the same movie. He's playing it totally differently. You know, Eric Stoltz is a fine actor. 
but Michael J. Fox is a movie star. And the guy has the exact charisma that you need from Marty McFly. The way that he works with Christopher Lloyd in the movie, uh, the way that we he works with, and I, I'm, I should have looked up her name, but the woman who plays her, uh, his mom is hilarious and amazing. And the man that plays his dad. Uh, I think, like we talked about, the things that draw you in, right? It's like, the chemistry between the movie star and you know the supporting actors, the world that's being built. Uh, one of the things I loved about watching it backwards, which I recommend because I assume most people have seen, if not what Back to the Future, you know, if not all three of them, maybe at least one, uh, is you realize you know the references that are going to pay off in Back to the Future Two and Back to the Future Three that start happening in the first one. Obviously, Zemeckis and Spielberg and everybody had had those things in mind. So, you know, the world building is, 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 is there, even from the beginning, the world building is there, you know, when he goes uh, back to the, back to his mom and dad's time. So, you know, that, I think that's an easy choice. Back to the Future was nominated. So this is 19. So actually Back to the Future comes out in 85. I love, you know, when uh, a popcorn movie specifically is made where it kind of highlights the immediate zeitgeist. So, you know, there's that joke in Back to the Future when he goes back to the 50s uh, about how Ronald Reagan is president and everybody laughs about it and they, and, they, and they make fun of it. And apparently there's, you know, this tidbit where apparently when Ronald Reagan saw the movie in a theater, uh, he like thought that part was so hilarious. He had the projectionist like, you know, rewind it so he could watch it again. Right. It's like that, but that's an example, you know, I mean, fuck around Reagan, whatever, but <laughs> like that's an example of, you know, something that draws, something that draws you in is like just, just those things. Right. I mean, one of the things with back to the future for me is like, you know, obviously I was born that year. So it's a little old for me. There are some things that don't like, you know, quite hit. And then when you compare it to what else was nominated that year, it's honestly, I'll, I'll be honest, it's a little tough for me to understand because I probably, I don't think I've watched any of the other movies that were nominated that year, but, but I think it's timeless, right? I, I, I remember watching that movie when I was really young, you know, my parents loved the movie. Uh, like we, we were able to love it. People like different things about it. Rewatching it now has been, you know, absolutely amazing. Um, Back to the Future was nominated for Best Original Screenplay that year. So let me just say that. Uh, Zemeckis um, and his co-writer, Bob Gale, were nominated for Best Original Screenplay. So those are the Best Original Screenplay nominees I just mentioned. Um, the Best Picture nominees were um, Out of Africa, which I've heard is great and I still haven't seen. The Color Purple, which was phenomenal. Uh, yes. Kiss of the Spider Woman, Pritzi's Honor, and Witness, all three of which I haven't seen. So, you know... I, the only one that I really am tied to in there is the color purple. Um, I would get rid of all the rest of them and put Back <laughs> to the Future in there. Uh, because, I mean, I, I think it, the acting in that movie is underrated. It, mm. I, I think movie stars, this is going to sound stupid. I think movie stars yeah. are underrated. Like, like, some, like the work that a, the work that a uh, Michael J. Fox does in Back to the Future is is like actually really you know impressive work but even his supporting cast you see the work that they do over three films and how many different kinds of characters they played versions of, of themselves the acting is great obviously it's kind of kinetic and it moves forward really quickly um and it drives forward in like a great way so you know zemeckis did a great job there um the production value is cool uh and, you know i think christopher lloyd is like undeniably great in it and like just a great 
Uh, he's got a great chemistry and back and forth. So, so I, yeah. I, th- I think it's, it's, it's a pretty undeniable choice, but I don't know. I mean, what are your, what are your guys' thoughts on Back to the Future in 1985? I'll give you three quick ones. Um, <laughs> Princey Donner, Witness, and Out of Africa are good in addition to the color purple. So whichever the one I didn't name, uh, you could just kick that one off. Uh, but Out of Africa, Witness, and Princey's <laughs> Honor are all, are, are all pretty good. Um, as for Back to the Future, I, I think um, first off is, is the one that's not really about the movie, which is Michael J. Fox. Um, you know, as far as him being a movie star uh, and having cultural significance now for his work in Back to the Future and Spin City, I think is really important. And he probably doesn't have that platform without these movies. And I'm a big Michael J. Fox fan personally, so I just wanted to shoot that in there. Uh, the second thing is, is I love movies that could have easily failed. And this movie between, uh, you know, starting with a different star, as you pointed out, and also just when, you know, when he goes back to, what, what is it, 1955, mm-hmm. his mom is into him and stuff like that. All mm-hmm. that could have been really weird and yeah. fail if it wasn't so tightly written and funny. And Michael J. Fox being Michael J. Fox. I love movies that take that kind of chance because there was no way that a few movie executives didn't roll their eyes with that plot point. Um, and the third one, uh, is, as far as I, you know, I just wanted to respect its cultural significance. I think there's, you look at time travel movies, there's kind of two buckets, pre-Back to the Future and after. And, you know, pre-Back to the Future, you have, you know, pretty much Star Trek and that's it. After Back to the Future, you have, you know, some of the Marvel movies uh, explore time travel. Harry Potter does, Donnie Darko, 12 Monkeys, um, you know, Edge of Tomorrow, the, uh, Terminator uh, being a big one yeah. too. Uh, you kind of have this explosion in time travel stories and their big box office hits. And um, it's like a concept that people are interested in. There's books about the philosophy of time travel. And I think a lot of that is, uh, you know, owed to the impact of, you know, back to the future in the mid eighties to the early nineties. As far as, you know, being a best picture, you made the argument that's not mine to make, but as far as its cultural significance, like back to the future is a pretty solid pick. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm, a little biased because I also had like a little obsession with Michael J. Fox starting from like family ties and just watching all those reruns and just following his career. So I'm 100% with you with this back to the future given an Oscar. And- Let me be clear. My obsession with Michael J. Fox was not put in the past tense. Same. Oh yeah. <laughs> but okay. I, okay. I do agree with uh, the fact that this movie would not have worked without him. He has his, the character is so, I want to, I guess like nuanced, I want to say, but like, it's so specific. And if, and as you guys said, if it's not done in the way that it was done, it would not have worked at all. So also Sean, that was a great point about how these time travel movies, how kind of this totally changed like this kind of, idea of time travel and how to um do it in a in a visual story it, it, and it showed I, you you didn't have to do time travel in a space movie after uh, like we you're, you've all just been saying after a movie like back to the future is made people start trying to copy the hell out of it and they yeah. and they try to copy that relationship and they try to copy the gags and they try to copy you know some of the world building and all the things that we like about it and it doesn't work and it doesn't work because you know, Back to the Future is uniquely well done and Mm -hmm. it should be okay for the Academy to say, wow, this is uniquely well done. It doesn't matter that, you know, it's not necessarily specifically about something like super important or it doesn't, you know, have 
a a performance in it that you know makes me cry or whatever like mm-hmm. it they they should be able to look at it and it, uh, you know we're looking at it in 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 hindsight but like they should yeah. I, I think they could have looked at it at that point and and clearly seen that I'm not just going to give this the kind of redheaded stepchild like uh, nomination with of best original screenplay which is exactly what that is right like they give it yeah. to the people who they think are kind of like new and up and coming and interesting mm-hmm. but they don't give them best picture and they give the serious contenders quote-unquote best picture but back to the yeah. future is is you know the epitome of a best picture contender and and it <laughs> deserves it so sean what's your pick? so i'm gonna take us back uh to a simpler time to 2008 uh, my pick is The Dark Knight, the most famous Oscar snub since Saving Private Ryan. Uh, was not nominated for Best Picture, which obviously we know from an earlier episode led to a whole rejuggling with how the Academy uh, conducts their business. So just to set the scene, um, look, in summer 2008, uh, you know, comic book movies were still not really taken seriously as works of, you know, quote unquote, motion picture art. Um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe had really just started. Uh, there wasn't much of a universe. Iron Man had come out. Uh, I suppose The Incredible Hulk had come out. But, uh, you know, whether that movie's canon, I guess, depends on which Marvel fan you talk to. But, um, you know, comic book movies are looked at as, as purely for entertainment value. That needle may have moved a little bit when Spider-Man 2 came out. But, uh, you know, for the wide swath of, of audiences and critics... Um, it was pure entertainment. Um, and also previously, uh, other than, you know, Spider-Man 2, most comic book movies have been done with like a wink or a nod. Thinking about the Michael Keaton, Tim Burton Batmans and the Joel Schumacher Batmans and even the Christopher Reeve Supermans. There's a little bit of campiness to it. There's a little bit of reassurance offered throughout the story that, you know, everything's going to be, you know, be fine. Our hero got this. The Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy kind of changed all that. The Dark Knight kind of built on the world that Christopher Nolan created in Batman Begins, which came out in 2005 and was not as big of a commercial success. It only made $200 million domestically. There were some questions over whether Warner Brothers even wanted to finance another uh, Batman sequel, but thank God they did. And we get The Dark Knight, which probes even deeper than Batman Begins did into the, you know, the dark and troubled nature that is you know, Bruce Wayne, um, Gotham and, you know, being a vigilante. What gets me about this movie is, is unlike, it's not realistic. Let's just start there. No super movie hero is realistic. To say a super movie, superhero movie is realistic is to, you know, kind of undercut the very name superhero. But this movie kind of acts like it is. And, you know, everyone from the hero to the villains to the supporting characters all kind of take their roles within this crazy world very seriously from you know you know lieutenant gordon to commissioner gordon to you know the mob bosses to the villain the joker uh you know the dark knight's also while i mentioned the joker it's not just simple like a a joker versus batman good versus evil story which kind of comic book movies are um known for it's a lot deeper than that this is a this is a movie about morals and moral compromise about choices it's no accident that this movie that came out in you know, the final year of the uh, Bush presidency, uh, there's a major conflict in the movie where Morgan Freeman's character, Lucius Fox, who's Batman's biggest enabler besides his butler, uh, tells him that uh, surveilling (laughs) everyone in Gotham through their cell phone is is a bridge too far. And I don't think that's an accident. No one has done it in other movies, but it's an example of why this movie, while just being a Batman movie, goes to another level. 
um, it asks deeper questions as far as what um, a hero is willing to do to stop his foe that is always one step ahead of him. Um, so I think on, on that level, this, like we were talking about at the outset, I could flip this movie on and I could watch it on my phone and, and just watch the action set pieces, which are incredible. This is one of the, uh, this is the, the movie that kind of ushered in this new era that we're in where big set piece uh, action sequences are filmed in IMAX. Nolan kind of restarted that movement, which Michael Bay then adopted a year later in the second Transformers movie, which, you know, you could film that thing on anything. It wouldn't have saved it, but. (laughs) 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 To to digress for a second, you can't, you can't talk about the dark Knight without mentioning also, um, you know, the Joker. And I, I try not to mention him until after I lay everything else out because I felt, um, it cheats the rest of the movie and it's almost easy to, you know, eulogize and glorify Heath Ledger um, after his demise. Nevertheless, this is a sublime performance. This is a performance that all comic book movie villains are compared to Mm -hmm. either consciously or subconsciously. Um, It's impossible not to talk about Heath Ledger without, uh, you know, noting that we lost just a incredibly gifted artist at such a young age. But anyway, to the Academy, and it's a massive mistake with this movie. Um, oh. Just like so many great uh, popcorn movies before it, and since then, they try to paper over their inability to get over their own prejudice by nominating it for all the technical awards. This movie got eight Academy Award nominations. Only Slumdog Millionaire that year had more. Of course, they were all on the technical side, besides, obviously, Heath Ledger's supporting actor, which he deservedly won. Um, you know, it, it just kind of illustrates the simplistic nature uh, as to how critics and the Academy treated, you know, comic book movies up to that point. It obviously has changed a little bit. I think Black Panther was a good example of that. Um, but overall, they just don't, they didn't up until this time take it seriously from, again, the evaluation on the uh, deeper level. The Best Picture nominations for that year, there were only five of them because that's the way it should be. We have, okay. we, have, we have Slumdog Millionaire, Frost, Nixon, Milk, and The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. They're all safe. Um, there was a fifth nomination for the movie, for the oh. movie, the reader. Ah, <laughs> oh, boo. <laughs> and, uh, the reader, we remember this, this is the movie that Kate Winslet won her best actress, uh, Academy, which again was long time coming, but this wasn't the movie for that or a best picture nomination. Uh, we remember it for, uh, obviously it was about uh, an illiterate, uh, former Nazi concentration camp guard, you know, watching it at the time, I thought, you know, this is a good movie worthy of, you know, recognition, you know, maybe so-and-so, but especially looking back 12 years, this is kind of the last uh, Weinstein vehicle um, before, obviously, all the allegations, uh, not even allegations, obviously, all the facts that have come out over the last four years about um, the Weinsteins and their their many, many crimes before that, um, they just committed crimes against art by uh, juicing marketing budgets of various, <laughs> you know, Miramax or the Weinstein Company movies and getting them uh, nominated, the reader being kind of the last example of that. Um, it didn't deserve to be nominated. If you want to nitpick, you can say Wally, which was the best reviewed movie of that decade, also should have been nominated. So if the Dark Knight yep. gets suns for that, it makes my argument a little bit harder. But the fact that the reader was nominated, Wally wasn't, the Dark Knight wasn't. This is an easy choice for me. I knock off the Dark. I, I knock. I knock off Wally. I put the Dark Knight in there. Sliding doors moment. The Academy then doesn't need to change their uh, nominating process. But listen to episode one for that. 
and one quick note because this 2008 we kind of remember it as like it was modern but it, it was before social media was what it became and how movies and movies spread was still kind of word of mouth and television and mm-hmm. i remember the summer of 2008 for a month everybody was talking about the dark knight yeah i saw it way too yeah. many times yeah. I, I saw it five times but i wasn't the only one people were just uh, talking about it if you saw it a few times in the movie theater if you saw it a few times in a normal theater they would ask whether you saw it in imax because if you didn't see it in imax you didn't really see the movie because the the imax sequences even watching it on blu-ray oh. are just incredible they the fill up your tv oh, the beginning scene yeah <laughs> the prologue but also when they when they flip that uh 18 wheeler in the middle of chicago mm-hmm. um, it, it's just absolutely incredible the set pieces in this movie are, are some of the best ever put on film. And obviously the, the decision to put stuff on IMAX just makes it just a glory on the eyes. So the dark Knight nominated, submitted Academy. I drink to your woes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you should, oh, that, that is the film. No, I agree. That... Like obviously. So when I saw it, I enjoyed it, but I think I didn't um, read too much into it until I watched it again uh, you know maybe a year or two later um and i kind of saw the emotion you know the the emotional journey of uh, of bruce wayne and you know really appreciated the that the performances and the writing and how it really took this you know pop it's a popcorn franchise right but it really took it to a different level and explored you know, explored Bruce Wayne and his psyche and um, why he is the way he is and, you know, what he sacrifices. Well, yeah, Uh, the sacrifices, but also kind of the pitfalls of having, I mean, Bruce Wayne's a great vehicle. He's a billionaire with unlimited money or at least, you know, exactly. and and he, you know, the choices that he has to make and the morals that he has to compromise on are, you know, you could apply those to the government. You could apply those to, you know, three months later, the the leaders of banks and hedge funds. Um, It's just a movie that kind of works on a lot of levels and, and watching it as you get older and kind of understand how the world works more. You, I, I certainly appreciate those as much as I appreciate kind of like the awesome set pieces that just make me want to, you know, get off this podcast and go watch it. Yeah, it definitely. Yeah. Oh, sorry, just one more thing. Um, no, it definitely. As an adult, you you really you understand you have to make difficult decisions and you have to choose between like the lesser of two evils, and that movie is really centered um, around that and making decisions. And playing with, with, with that, that like morally point. gray area, absolutely. You know, I was just gonna say like the Dark Knight just kind of like set up the you know the blueprint for like many future superhero movies to like to come out afterwards that kind of like you know followed that you know superheroes are complex characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. it also made it okay to have a villain and i know the dark knight rises had bane who had you know enhanced uh abilities in some ways but it made it okay for villains to be just normal people that are smarter than their adversary um or just have different motivations than their adversary as opposed to even the examples i cited like spider-man had dr octopus and the green goblin and the x-men movies have magneto and they're all mutants and they all have these various powers i mean batman is just a guy if you shoot him he'll die um <laughs> and, and but but the Joker and Ra's al Ghul are the same way, um, mm-hmm. 
so it, 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 it's more interesting knowing how mortal these guys are and just kind of the dance that they yeah. have to do around each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's so true. That's why Batman is one of the most right. popular ones, too, because he's human. Mm-hmm. Great choice, Sean. So my turn. Um, so my pick is Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, part one. I feel like it should have been nominated at the 83rd Academy Awards. Um, that's the year that um, the awards were honoring the movies that came out in 2010. I feel like in general, the Academy should have recognized the franchise for its you know, cinematic achievement and contribution to cinema. And I feel like it should have done so with Deathly Hallows Part 1. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Part 2. I think it's a fantastic conclusion to this epic franchise. I feel like Warner Brothers really got it right with both films. But for me, um, Part 1 and Part 2 are just two films that just feel entirely different. You know, part one focuses on the trio search for the objects that will ultimately help defeat Voldemort and just the emotional toll that takes on them. While part two feels like a two hour giant battle sequence. It's a nonstop ride that doesn't really slow down until like the final few scenes. And then you have the epilogue. So I feel like in that regards, it's just more of your traditional popcorn, popcorn flick. Um, and I feel like part one just has more to offer and it works on multiple levels. So like, first of all, I think this is the best film in the series. I think it works not only as like a standalone film, like it's a great film itself, but I think it's also the best adaptation um, of the source material. You know, just from the opening scene to the end of the movie, we are just captivated as an audience. We're tuned into every minute. We're invested in the characters and their journey all the way. Not only does the film like you know grab you in, but it has the right pacing. It knows when to speed things up. It knows when to slow it down. So we're not overly stimulated as an audience. I think it's a this film is a thriller, an action film, an emotional drama all in one. And you have some romance thrown into the mix as well. I think the score is amazing. It's very integral to the film and the emotional experience of the story. Uh, bringing on Alexander Desplat to score these films was an excellent choice. Uh, David Yates, the director, I feel like really got it right this time, making it, I would say, the best directed film. Uh, You have believable performances that Yates was able to bring out out of the main trio, you know, being Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grant, and Emma Watson. You empathize with Harry and his conflicts of emotions. You feel Ron's anger at always, you know, feeling like he's second best. And this was actually the first film where Emma Watson didn't annoy me with her portrayal of Hermione. So that's a bonus point. <laughs> I think it looked. I think the film itself looked great, especially with that that subdued color palette that was used throughout the film. The spectacular sets itself. Um, I also appreciated, you know, how they, you know, because at this point, like most of the films took place in Hogwarts, but this is kind of like the first film that kind of like um, goes out of that setting, and you yeah. get you really get to explore more of the UK landscape. Um, we all know the story works really well because the last book in the Harry Potter series is amazing itself. Uh, but just the way that they were able to bring the story alive and adapt it to the big screen, I feel like worked really, really well, capturing the essence and themes of the first half of the book. And I don't think any of it gets really lost in the adaptation from book to film. And if there was anything that didn't make it to the big screen, I don't think it's really missed when you like when you're watching the movie itself. So, in conclusion, I think this movie works because I feel like it's earned every minute of its running time. It is engaging. It is credible. It is seamless. It has a well-structured screenplay. It has a moving score. 
it has the correct tempo and pacing and ultimately it just manages to successfully achieve what it set out to do so looking at the other nominees from the 2011 oscars you have the king's speech black swan the fighter inception the kids all right 127 hours the social network toy story 3 true grit and winter's bone it is a packed year, my friends. Yes, it <laughs> is. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, well, you're the only one, I think, who had more than five, you know, yeah. in the new era. If you, have to sw- if you have to swallow to read all the nominees, you have too many nominees. Oh, episode episode no. one. <laughs> this, is, this, this is a great episode one. This is a great example of why we need 10 nominees. Those are yeah. just, there's, more than, there's more than five movies that are great. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. No, it's sorry, okay. Also. I was going to say, if I had to choose, I would replace Winter's Bone with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. I feel like out of all of the 10 nominees, I, I feel like that's the weakest link. Uh, the weakest film. Um, I think Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows Part 1 is the better film. And it's also the culmination of an epic cinematic journey that began in 2001. And I feel like it deserves the recognition for its contribution to cinema. Um, I was also going to note that there was... Um, I mean, I would say it's a notable snub from that year, which was The Town. But again, yes. like it's already a pretty exciting and packed lineup that mm-hmm. I don't think The Town was a huge omission. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think Harry Potter 7, part one, still the better film. And I stand by my statement. So just to dovetail with your invitation um, about the town. So first off, let me start off with Harry Potter part one, uh, or I guess Harry Potter 7.1. It's my second favorite Harry Potter movie. I agree with everything you said up until the last, which is that it deserves that final spot over the town. This movie is is incredible. Um, I, I think it uh, reminds me a lot of the first uh, hour of the Fellowship of the Ring, except it lasts two hours in that you are constantly in fear for Harry, just like you're constantly in fear for Frodo. It, it is a great movie. I also acknowledge that it is hard to kind of celebrate a franchise um, when the movie isn't the final one. Um, and that's kind of the curse that this movie had, that and being a franchise movie, which in 2010 was still a curse. Nevertheless, I think it comes in 11th. And I'll take your Winter's Bone spot. I'll take a little bit of umbrage because The Town for me is a, an example of just a great popcorn movie that is being snubbed, um, obviously, in a year where there was another great popcorn movie that could have taken its place. But having just watched The Town recently, I mean, this is a, a heist movie that works perfectly for exactly what Ben Affleck intended it to. Um, one of the things I enjoyed uh, about it was like Affleck and Ham are both kind of flawed. It, it just kind of has everything that you want in a popcorn movie, the action set piece of the interesting characters. You know, I think the town uh, more than any other, you know, year that we've talked about so far, there was kind of a notable snub in the, the popcorn category. So mm-hmm. while I'm, I'm softly objecting uh, because I do love Harry Potter part one, the franchise should have been celebrated in some way. It just so happens that there was just this great popcorn heist movie that came out the exact same year. Um, getting back to, Harry Potter. One thing I thought a lot about with Harry Potter is if you watch the um, Star Wars movies, uh, the best one, um, and I'm talking about the first six, not the most recent trilogy, uh, the thing that makes uh, episode five work so well, besides the fact that it's just a movie that that, um, is almost perfect, is there's this threat of the Emperor kind of right behind the veil. And uh, what's great about the Deathly Hallows part one is Voldemort is hardly in it. 
mm-hmm. he's right there, but he's hardly in it. He's he's knocking on the door, and that creates kind of like this dark. Besides, as as Demelza pointed out, the dark palette that the movie kind of the the the, the grunge that it was kind of going for. Exactly. What the movie does so well is it kind of keeps you in fear of that danger that you can't yeah. see. So I do agree with your pick for that this movie should have been nominated. Um, I I agree with the them choosing that color palette and just it was a it was an amazing journey that we were able to make. And Jordana, you did make a good point. I do think it's hard to choose a film that's like in the middle of a franchise. I mean, granted we had Return of the King, but I think that's probably what held it up. But since we had Return of the King, that should not be a reason that this shouldn't have been nominated. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, now that we've all shared our picks, I think it's time for us to, we're going to all vote on whether our picks should have been actually nominated for best picture nominee so for a second we're just gonna pretend like we're academy members and i'm just gonna start in chronological order so first up do we all vote for back to the future to have been included as a best picture nominee in the 1986 oscars we're all in agreement mm-hmm. okay sean, sean votes now <laughs> I Demilsa votes no too. Really, Jordana votes yes. I'm gonna vote yes because I didn't see the other ones. So, so That's wait, fine. what? If you're voting no, what? What do you? What should have been nominated? Or you just agree with the five from that year? I don't necessarily agree with the five from that year. I just uh, personally, for me, don't have a strong attachment to Back to the Future. I think I agree with like what all you guys say. I think it speaks to, you know, that era. It was a, it, it has a cult following. I just mm-hmm. don't necessarily feel like it's deserving of best picture mm-hmm. or yeah. best picture nominee. That's just me. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just one of those movies. I, I watch it. I like it. Um, but Jay, I think about best picture in the same way. I think about like an NBA all pro team. It's a snapshot of the best movies of that like the you know the the movies that you put in a time capsule and Back to the Future as far as like a movie saved for posterity, um, you know maybe just not in the Academy Award re- uh, recognition category. Yeah, no, to- to- yeah, totally fair. I think I have a little bit of kind of like hindsight bias because I think when you if you were to make a list of the best some of the if you were to make a list of the best movies of all time or the, definitely the best popcorn movies of all time. I think Back to the Future yeah. would be in the top five. And so that gives me hindsight bias. But then when you explain it the way you mm-hmm. both just did, I think that that also makes perfect sense. All right. Okay. So Toy Story. Yay. Sean says yay. I'll say yay. I, I mean, I say yay. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be funny I, if you say I, no. Jay says, I say yes I, as well. I say yay too. Okay. <laughs> uh, the Dark Knight. Sean says yay, obviously. i'll agree with that i say yay jay i i i agree yep hard jasmine one thousand (laughs) percent honestly (laughs) like (laughs) should we all vote for it to have won best picture as well no i'm actually i'm I'm, I'm I'm not going that far i'm actually actually fine with slumdog millionaire winning best picture um but uh as far as nominations but dark knight definitely okay 
yep. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part One. I mean, you know me, yes. Everybody. Yeah. It's a no for me. Ooh. Yeah, it hurts. I me know. I love Harry Potter. It's 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 a nay for me for that one. I I maybe would have nominated part two, but yeah, it's, this is a nay for me. The town, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jasmine, hmm. I'm gonna say yay. Okay. All right, The Matrix. Jasmine. Oh, well, I mean, I'm a yes. Yeah. I think it's ridiculous, but. <laughs> That's a yay for me. Sean says yay. I'm a yes, too. Yeah, that's a yes for me as well. All right. Unanimous. You definitely messed up that year. (laughs) All right. So we are including, I guess, (laughs) Toy Story, The Dark Knight, and The Matrix as Best (laughs) Picture nominees. Two totally different movies. But that's the point of this discussion. So. I mean, also, I think it just goes back to, um, and I feel like the Academy needs to do better about this. Like, great filmmaking is about, you know, when a director, the studios, like the crew and the cast itself, like when you when they set out to do something and they intend to do something and they actually achieve it, like, why shouldn't like great popcorn movies like be recognized for that, you know, achievement? Like, why? Why does it matter whether it's like a superhero film or like a, a comedy? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we shouldn't put great films into this box where it has to have this and this and this. And it's not great if it's in this genre. I agree. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's just, we can only ask that the Academy gets it together, but we'll see. Especially with their new members that they yeah. just released. So, mm-hmm. yeah. hoping for better results. <laughs> they're they're working on it. <laughs> oh my gosh! Anyways, that wraps up our main discussion in this episode, the long take. Now we turn to our last segment of the show, one more take, where we share a film we recently watched and whether yay we really liked it or nay it was a waste of our time. So, Jay, want to start it off? Yeah, um, I rewatched all four of the Indiana Jones movies recently. Um, so, you know, sticking with the popcorn movie kind of blockbuster theme. Uh, and I watched them in order instead of backwards this time. <laughs> um, and, you know, all I think all of the movies are pretty good. Even I know a lot of people didn't love Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but I enjoyed watching it. There's a part two fast forward through whatever. <laughs> but the movie I couldn't even get through. So, you know, I'm, I'm a yay as a whole, but the movie that I'm a nay on is, is the second one, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Uh, I just don't think it stands up to, uh, especially the first one, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, and then, you know, the third one, the chemistry between uh, Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. Uh, yeah, Temple of Doom, there was a lot of fast forwarding happening. Uh, there was some cringy stuff. There were some, you know, wonderful uh, supporting performances, I thought. Uh, but yeah, I'm gonna say Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is is an A. It just doesn't doesn't live up to to what I at least remember it being. Okay, mm-hmm. Sean. Uh, so I recently watched uh, Palm Springs, which is a new Hulu movie that came out over the weekend, starring Andy Samberg and uh, Kristen Maliti. Uh, basic premise is it's about two people who meet at a wedding and kind of get stuck in a uh, time loop. 
Uh, so essentially, it's a love story set in a world where every day is exactly the same, which is a concept that is just so foreign to everybody um, in the age of COVID. Um, so maybe conceptually, uh, this is not what we're all in the mood for, but I really encourage everyone to give it a try. Uh, this movie reminded me of, of whether, you know, if Judd Apatow decided to remake Groundhog Day in the mid 2000s, um, it, it kind of has the the comedic sensibilities of like a knocked up or a super bad but it you know really seamlessly juggles between humor and poignance as far as um you know the emotional evolution of both the characters it's a big yay for me it's the perfect uh summer movie in the time of covid <laughs> nice yeah jasmine nice. what's Love your it. pick my pick is hamilton I really, Ooh. yes, exactly. I <laughs> Wait for it. <laughs> take this time to thank Lynn Manuel Miranda for giving us and Disney yeah. that I don't think I would have been able to see without this happening. Yeah. But I mean, I'll I'll still see it in theaters if it ever if we ever get to that point. But yeah. this show or this musical. I'm going to, it's kind of blurring the lines because it's a musical, but it's made in a movie form, is spectacular. It's so creative, and I don't understand. I'm still trying to figure out how this was made, how he thought to make this musical like this, like taking the inspiration from a historical figure and reading the books and probably he did other research, but just the way that he was able to create songs and to kind of tell history in a short little sound bites that stick with you. And that made sense when everything that was happening at that time is just so big and convoluted and just kind of streamlining it for audiences it's just it's mind-blowing and I mean he, he's worked on it for years and it definitely shows and I'm just incredibly thankful for this movie thank you thank you join <laughs> thank you Lin-Manuel thank you, you Lin-Manuel I know it's so I know, it's, it's so good I watched it this week too that's not my take but it makes me excited for In the Heights oh yes me too so excited for In the Heights yeah, yeah. Well, I actually recently watched um, Wild Rose. I feel like a lot of people don't even know what that film is or whether it even exists. Um, it's on Hulu, but it was re- released in 2019. It's a British musical drama starring Jesse Buckley, who's in Chernobyl right now on HBO, and Julie Walters, who everybody knows as Mrs. Weasley from the Harry Potter films. Um, it's about an aspiring uh, musician who wants to be a country star, but she lives in Scotland, has a kid. Um, there's other issues involved, um, but uh, I just really enjoyed this film. I thought uh, the performances were amazing. It was like a new take on the I want to be a star story. And it also had a very satisfying ending. Um, I'm not a big like country music person, but I really enjoyed the songs in this film. Uh, it's unfortunate that it fell under the radar because I feel like it's just a very like underrated like hidden gem. And everyone should watch it. What you can again on Hulu. Um, so I watched Silence of the Lambs, which I had never seen before, and so it's a yay. But with the it's, for me, it's more of a may. 
But would I watch it again? Yes. Would I recommend it? Yes. But I think the movie was kind of ruined because I, you know, I know a lot about the character and it's built up a lot. So, you know, it was good, but it just didn't, I don't even want to say like live up to the hype, but Hannibal Lecter is always at the, you know, the greatest movie villains of all time. He's usually number one or in the top three. Um, the acting was phenomenal from both of them, from Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster. But I, I think because I I knew a lot of the plot, I knew the twist, it's, it, it wasn't as good, which is to be expected for a thriller when you know it's going to happen. It's- it also ruins Goodbye Horses. Forever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That is true. But I would definitely, you know, watch it again and recommend it. So that's why it's a yes for me. Well, guys, thanks for joining me tonight for another episode of One More Take. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. You may also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, our handle being underscore One More Take. Until next time.